Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. If you've got your Bibles... And I need just a little more boom on this. I I notice myself trying to be louder than I need to. If you've got your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. We are continuing our sermon series called Let's Go to Church. And Let's Go to Church is the theme for this year. Every year we set a theme, something that we feel like the Lord is really trying to put into our hearts. And so this is our theme for the year and it's our series. And this is the second message of the series. The message last week was do it again. And if you weren't able to hear that, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. You will be stirred. You will be stirred. That sounds so good, guys. Thank you. Today, The message is after the title of the series. The message number two, let's go to church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. How many of you like reading it out of your own Bible instead of off the screen? It's, It's fine either way. I'm always just curious. And the scripture says, And they, continuing daily... With one accord in the temple, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church. Somebody say the church. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's look at it again. And they continuing, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. So in the temple, we see the people gathering together in a, uh, a place that's set apart as holy. A place for the worship of God. So here's what they did. They gathered regularly in the temple for the praises of God, and to hear the scriptures read and taught. They also broke bread from house to house. They didn't just get together at church. They got together outside of the church. They did eat the meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. They praised and they worshiped, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as as such as should be saved. When they gathered regularly for worship and preaching together, when they fellowshiped together, when they praised God together, the church continued to grow. People continued to be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you so much for this family. I believe that you put this word in my heart. And I'm asking for your help to minister it today. 
Open our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our minds, the eyes of our understanding. Father, that we would get this today, that we would mix it with faith, that it would profit something, that we would apply it, that we would obey it. Help me. Help me to minister your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Since the pandemic, how the world has changed and how the church has changed. During the pandemic, now I know a lot of churches didn't meet, but when they began to meet again, only 50% of regular regular church attendees returned. I don't mean they had visited a couple of times before the pandemic. I'm talking about they had been in church. I'm talking about families that generations are in church. Church people. And during the pandemic, they begin to watch live stream services or not. But when the churches reconvened, 50% of American churchgoers did not return. Within a short time, about another 10%, up to 60 now, was not coming. And some statistics show that now... Nearly 77-0, that nearly 70% of people who were attending church regularly, faithfully, before the pandemic, no longer attend church in America. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you're listening, sweetie. But maybe an oh me or an oh my. 50 to 70% have fallen away. Oh my. Now cool it. <laughs> 50 to 70%. Now listen to this. Now in the time since the pandemic, one in every three church members have become disengaged, whatever that may entail. They're kind of showing up, but they're not involved. People that were involved, people that were engaged, people that were committed, you might see them, you know, every other month. One out of every three. Church attenders have become disengaged. Are you concerned yet? Since the pandemic, 4,000 churches have closed in America. No longer open, out of business. 4,000. Get ready for this. 20,000 
pastors have left the ministry since the pandemic. Regard for the Bible as God's word in our country and the reverential fear of the Lord are right now at the lowest they have been in any of our lives in this country. But according to the historical pattern, we are the generation that will change it and turn it all around. That's right. Children used to be taught that God is a priority by their family making church attendance a priority. You see, your kids, when they're little, they think God and church are the same thing. So the way they see you treat the church is how they believe you're treating God. The way you revere the church is how they revere God. The way you view church is how they view God. The way the church behaves is how they think that God behaves. And it used to be that kids knew God is first because church came first. We knew that on Sunday morning we're going to church. And if you come from out of town to visit and you're there on a Sunday morning, that does not mean that I stay home to visit with you. That means you get up and you go to church with me. That's what it means. Because people made the church a priority, their kids knew that God is a priority. Do you hear me this morning? Generation by generation, we are losing more of our children to the lie that says, I don't need anyone but myself. There is a lie in our country, a lie in our culture, a lie in our world that says, I don't need anybody but me. I'm good all by myself. Being programmed with it. Social media is making us less social all the time. We are being programmed not to interact with other human beings except through a screen and through a keyboard. Family and friendship is the heart of all of God's creation. And can I tell you that the nuclear family 
unit is in the crosshairs of the devil's sights. The way you destroy a world, the way you destroy a nation, the way you destroy a people is from the inside out. And you do it by destroying the ideal of family. Somebody say family. If you want to destroy a people, if you want to destroy a nation, you begin to separate people from each other. If you think that everything that has been mandated in this country in the last three years came out of pure concern for your health, you have your eyes closed. You disconnect people one at a time. You isolate them. You sow discord. People of God, brothers and sisters, it is the job of the body of Christ. It is no one else's job. It is not a government's job. It is not a school's job. It is not the job and the call of a social organization. It is the job of the body of Christ to stand against this satanic plan of division, to spread the gospel of Jesus, filled with the love of Jesus, and bind the family of Jesus together in unity. Somebody say, let's go to church. You see, people have got problems and they don't have answers. But even those that call themselves Christians can't seem to show up where God is giving out the answers. Your household is falling apart, but you refuse to include his house as part of your life. You say you need more personal time. But you've decided to take that out of the time that he's asked you to spend in worship with the local body. And your life shows it. Your life shows it. The consequences show it. Claim to be part of the church, but have no interest in going to church. We wonder why our nation won't turn to God, but the people that claim to know him won't even turn to him. Isn't it time to go to church? Well, I don't have to go to church to have a relationship with God. Oh, really? Which God are you talking about? And which Bible are you reading? Because I'm about to give you a whole bunch of Bible where God showed us that people who have a relationship with him do go to church. It's quiet up in this Presbyterian church this morning. Going to church doesn't give you salvation, but salvation will make you crave to be in church. 
When you get born again, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit wants to go to church. What is church anyway? Aren't all Christians the church? Well, not exactly. The word church is different than the body of Christ. The word church is different than the saints. The word church is different than the redeemed. It's different than the saved. It's different than the forgiven. It's different than the born again. The word church is a different word than the word Christian. The word church is the word ecclesia, which literally means the assembling together of. You see, church is the act of gathering believers to worship, to be exhorted, to be challenged, to be changed. Church is the name of believers that are getting together to praise and to hear the word preached. You might be a believer and still refusing to be part of the church. Well, I'm saved, and sometimes I don't feel like going to church. I got hurt in the church, and I don't feel like going. There are hypocrites in the church, and I don't feel like going. Feelings. Feelings. Aren't these the same feelings that sometimes makes you want to take somebody out for cutting you off in traffic? But you don't. Aren't feelings the same thing that makes you want to eat stuff that kills you and ignore the food that gives you health? Feelings? Aren't feelings the same things that make you open your mouth when you know you should be closing it? Aren't feelings the things that make you keep sitting on the couch instead of getting up and stretching and moving and getting exercise? Aren't feelings the same things that make you sit around feeling sorry for yourself instead of being productive? Feelings. Since when... Did we start living off of feelings? You can't trust your feelings. Your feelings change all the time. Your feelings go back and forth. Your your feelings aren't stuck on one thing. Your feelings can't make their mind up. Your feelings change when you're tired. Your feelings change when you're hungry. Your feelings change when you're angry. Your feelings change when you're lonely. If you start living based on feelings, you'll destroy yourself in no time. Or maybe you do live off of your feelings. Maybe that's the reason you've always got chaos instead of calm. Maybe that's the reason you've got confusion instead of peace, defeat instead of victory. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. If you're living Based on your feelings, we've got to start living on principles instead of feelings. 
And we're going to have a real hard time living on principles if we're not in a place being filled with these principles and reminded of these principles and taught these principles and exhorted in these principles and have others to stand with when the road gets hard to keep living on these principles. Romans 10 and 17, the Amplified says it this way. So faith, y'all need more faith? I do. So faith comes from hearing what is told and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message concerning Christ. You know, we receive faith from different avenues and no one avenue is a substitute for another avenue. I'm supposed to read my Bible, but reading my Bible is never a substitute for preaching. I'm supposed to hear preaching, but preaching is never a substitute for reading my own Bible. You hear me? The Scripture has mandated all these different ways that we receive the Word of God and that we receive faith. Romans 10 talks about the preached Word, something we receive when the Word is preached. You see, we come and hear preaching together. Somebody shout together. We worship together. We pray together, and we win together. You go to work when you don't feel like it. Well, we can talk about that in America another time. You go to school when you don't feel like it. Don't base whether or not you go to school on if you, ah, you know, I don't feel like it today. If we do all of these worldly things, if we do all of these other things, not based on feeling, but based on principle and based on what we know we're supposed to do, why would we regard and treat worship and prayer and preaching with less respect than we treat everything else in our life? Why do we only run to church when we need it? When our feelings need it, instead of intentionally going for God's purposes. You see, we are never, ever, ever going to start living in victory in our lives until we start living intentionally instead of reactively. As long as you're just milling along, waiting to respond to whatever comes down the pipe, you are sowing destruction to yourself. But when you get filled with the Word of God, and you get filled with principle, and you get filled with a plan, you're not waiting for the day to tell you what to do. You're telling your day what you're going to do with it. You have a goal, and you have a purpose, and you have a target, and you have a plan. I want to live in intentionally for the will of God and the word of God and the heart of God. I'm tired of reacting. I'm going to start being the one acting out and moving intentionally toward the finish line. Isn't it time to go to church? When we are at church, there are a lot of things that happen. Kids got your sheets. Here are just a few of them. When we are at church, we are encouraged. Encouraged. That that 
E-N, you got the first two letters of it on there, that E-N, to have this put into you, to be filled with, to be built up in courage, to be filled with courage. It's the opposite of discourage. When you are discouraged, you have dissed your courage. You are stripped of any courage that you had. Courage is taken away. A, uh, you're going along. You have confidence. You have courage. And a situation comes out of nowhere. And it this is your courage. It removes Olivia. Need you listening more than talking. You are, your courage is removed from you. To be encouraged is that you get in a place where what you hear gives you courage that you didn't have. When you go to church, you are encouraged. When you go to church, you are corrected. Now, this one doesn't always feel as good as encouraged, but sometimes I need it more. Come on. We will never, ever grow beyond what we can be rebuked. We will never grow beyond what we can be corrected. We will never grow beyond what we can be disciplined. We will never grow beyond what we can be told we are wrong. So we are encouraged, but we're also corrected. When we are at church, we are inspired. Hopefully, if you're at the right church, come on. And I'm not telling you that every church operates like they're supposed to. And if you're in one that's killing you, you have permission to leave. Get out. Get out and get where the word of God is being preached. You are inspired at church. It is in our times worshiping together and hearing the word of God expounded upon that the Holy Spirit begins to stir inside of us and motivation rises up that I can do something in this life. I can make a difference. I can be part of spreading the gospel. I can do what God has called me to do. I'm inspired. When we are at church, we are stretched. We are stretched. When we are at church, we will be pulled into doing things we did not think we could do. And then we find out that anything God calls us to do, we can do through Christ, which strengthens us. Anything God calls us to do, we can do through him that strengthens us. We are stretched. When we come to church, we are grown. The Bible says we grow from faith to faith. The Bible says we grow from glory to glory. The Bible says we grow in wisdom, that we grow in knowledge, that we grow in grace, that we grow in mercy. We grow in our understanding of the Lord. We grow in our relationship with him. When we're hearing the word of God, when we're exercising it together, when we're worshiping it together, God builds us up. Really, in that, he makes less of us and more of him. He builds us up in getting rid of us. He gets our old thinking on board with his thinking. He crucifies the flesh. And causes us to agree with him instead. And we grow. We grow when we're at church. When we are at church, we are challenged. We're challenged. Because many times, when we're sitting at home just reading the Bible for ourselves, we read the parts that we like. 
or we view every part the way that we would like when there are things that we need to be standing up and changing. But when we get here, God won't have the preacher say it exactly like you like it. And we are challenged. We are challenged. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's our teaching to know what to believe, the right things to believe. For reproof, that fine-tuning and that polishing, for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. When we come together and we hear the word, the Holy Spirit is working on us and growing us and making us whole. And I'm talking about in your spirit. Your spirit is whole. I'm talking about the soul getting on board with the spirit. When you got saved, your spirit became holy, became perfect, became blameless, became righteous, became healed, became uh, uh, prosperous, be everything, whole. But your mind, your will, and your emotions, your soul, we now spend the rest of our life getting this thing on board with this thing. When we are together, listen, there is nowhere that you exercise faith like you exercise it together at church. You know, there's nothing different about the, the concrete blocks of this building than any of the ones around us. Except for, we have dedicated this one. When we come here, it's easier for our minds to go to God because we've set this space apart. It's easier to believe God at church many times. Because our brain automatically, when we get here, goes into, ah, Jesus. <laughs> We're here together. The music, the preaching, everything about this place is associated with times of being lifted up and encouraged. We believe God easier at church. When we are together, faith is greatly exercised and thereby greatly increased. Come on, somebody. Let's go to church we sit at home, and we wonder why we're not being built up. Well, do you know how this perfecting happens? Happens this way, Ephesians 4 and 11. And God gave some apostles. We're going to hear a list here of different kinds of ministry callings. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. The reason God gave preaching of his word is for building up the church, building up the saints, and that the saints equipped would then go out and win the lost, and they would come in and be built up. Till we all, oh, let me back up, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
that we henceforth be no more children. That's what we got. We got a lot of folks that are saved, but they're still babies. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, kind of like our balloon animal, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, every different gift supporting the other, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The reason God has given the gifts of the Spirit and preaching gifts at all is for the church. He gave these gifts to the gathering of the body, the church. If you are not here, I cannot even do my call. Without the gathering of the people, I cannot do my job. I cannot perform that which God has put on my heart to do. Matthew 18, 19 and 20. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven... For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Our power is in getting together. Some of you have been through enough life to know it. To know the benefit. To know the help. To know the strength Our power is in getting together. Listen to this. Kiddos, I think you'll like this too. Genesis 11 and 6. We're talking about the Tower of Babel. The people that lived in Babylon, they wanted to show that they were great. And they said, let us build a tower that will reach all the way into the heavens. Basically, they were saying, We're like God. We're going to show how great. We're going to make a name for our own self. Listen what happened. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one unified people. And they all have the same language. This is only the beginning of what they will do in rebellion against me. And now, no evil thing they imagine that they can do will be impossible for them. Now, hold up. Here are some people that are not following the Lord. They are not anointed of the Holy Spirit. They are fighting against God. And God says... Because they are on the same page, 
Because they have gotten together, because they are unified under one plan and one set of orders, because they've learned how to talk to each other, nothing will be impossible for the evil they want to accomplish. God said. We're living in a time in the church. It used to be that the voices that said, don't go to church, were obviously not people with your best interest in mind. And obviously people not living for the Lord. Usually the ones that said, don't worry about going to church, said, and go out with us the night before. Now, regardless of how you responded to the situation, you knew probably that whatever was going to happen the night before was not the best. And that it would be a better choice to not go out and go to church on Sunday morning. Do you hear me? The voices were easily identifiable. But now there's a movement within the church. Now there are people that claim Christianity. And for whatever reason, they're doing all of their power and using all of their focus to tell people, you don't need to go to church. Supposed Christians telling other Christians that there's no need for the church. Now, I... I was not born last night. And when I read the Bible and I see the devil saying here, I want to rebel against God. And the way I do that is by getting people together. The devil. The devil says, I know the way to get a thing done is to get people together and get them on the same page with the same plan and the same marching orders. If I can just bring about unity in my purpose, I'll be unstoppable. Let me get this straight. The devil is going to continue to use the perfect idea of church for his people to rally and to conference and to meet while he tells God's people that there's not a need for church anymore? Are you paying attention? Are you seeing what's going on? Is this not the most obvious thing in the world that the devil knows that he's got to get people together while a voice tells you we don't need to go to church anymore? The Bible says, be not ignorant of his devices. I want to tell you today, Anything that tries to keep you from church is trying to steal from you. 
Anything that tries to keep you from church is trying to trick you. Some people are so cocky. They think that they are not gullible. They think that they are not vulnerable. They think that nobody could pull one over on them. And every weekend, they listen to the lie that says, I don't need to be in church. Honey, I want to tell you, you've been tricked already. You've been duped already. You're already deceived. They've done bamboozled you and pulled the wool over your eyes. You are gullible. You are vulnerable. And you have been tricked. Anything that tries to keep you away from the church is trying to isolate you. If it tries to keep you from church, it's trying to make sure you don't hear what God has to say to you because our power is in getting together. There is power in unity. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The Lord inspired the psalmist to put down these words. Psalm 133. Behold. When I read behold, that means I need to behold. I need to look at it. Behold. That's what you do with a beautiful piece of art. That's what you do when you see something. When Rose and I drove through the Smoky Mountains a few years ago, we had to stop and get out of the car and just stand. And behold, I still haven't seen the Rockies. I got to get there. Behold. Well, the Lord gives you something here to behold, something to look at, to ponder, to think about. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity it is like the precious oil on the head talking about the anointing oil of the priesthood which brought the presence and the power of the holy spirit it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. Where? Where has God commanded the blessing? Where has he commanded perpetual victory? Where brothers dwell together in unity. Let's go to church. Maybe this is why he said in Hebrews 10, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're not supposed to go to church less. We're supposed to go to church more. I don't need this less than I needed it 30 years ago. I need it more than I've ever needed it in my life. 1 Peter 5 and 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion... 
walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We've got to stop. We've got to stop and look at this. He gave us a clue. God gave us a clue. God gave us a tip. He gave us an inside secret. He said, the devil is roaming around looking for anybody that will cooperate with him that he may trick them and take them out. He says, and I'll tell you how he does it. He does it the same way lions do it with their prey. How does a lion do it? Well, the lion never jumps into the middle of the herd. The lion never jumps into the middle of the flock. The lion intimidates from the sidelines. Go watch National Geographic. The lion intimidates from the sidelines. He'll run up close and jump and scare. But then he has to wait. Because if they don't pay him any attention, if they keep looking the same direction they were going and they keep on moving, there is no space for him to get in. But when they take their eyes off the lead of their pack, when they take their eyes off the direction of the family and they go... You know when runners lose the race? It's when they check on the other runners. That's why when you run a race, you should never run against any of the other runners. You should only run against yourself. You fix your eyes on the prize. You keep your gaze set on the finish line, and you keep moving forward looking at nothing. If you, if you, my God, if you stop to worry about what somebody else is doing, if you stop to worry about somebody getting ahead of you, if you stop to worry about what somebody's saying about you, you could lose the whole race. I don't have time to beat you. I'm spending all my time beating me. I don't have time to stop and hear what you think about me. I don't have time to stop and listen to how you don't like me or what you think about what I'm doing. I've got one audience, and he's up here. His name is Jesus Christ. I'm not a man pleaser. I'm a God pleaser, and I'm living my life with an audience of one. I've got my eye on the prize. I'm looking to the author and the finisher of my faith. I'm looking to Jesus. So the lion runs up and scares, and then one looks, and he loses his stride. And the, the, the direction that your head goes is the direction you go. That's why you better have the right pastor, by the way. The direction your head goes is the direction you go. And all of a sudden, when the animals turn their gaze, they get off, and now the lion has all the space he needs. The lion looks for the isolated. The lion looks for the one that's by themselves because he can target weakness and vulnerability. And here, the word of the Lord says, 
If you want to know how the devil attacks the body, he attacks like lions. He can't do anything to you together. So he just says scary stuff. Notice it said a roaring lion. Make a lot of noise. He just stands. Yeah, something like that. He just stands over here. And then when one gets scared and they veer off from the rest, he attacks. He attacks the vulnerable one that is isolated. That is isolated. Our protection is when we assemble together. The other night, we're watching a show about animals, and there were some meerkats. And one was pregnant. That was really the focus of the show was different types of animals carrying their young. And the mom, the, the pregnant meerkat, rather, she's there with these others. And all of a sudden, a cobra snake saw the meerkats and became interested. And here he comes. He spotted them from afar. And here he comes. The moment the cobra got close enough to approach a single meerkat, all of the meerkats ran to the one and mashed themselves together and formed a little half circle. And the snake began to freak out. As it turns out, cobras have terrible eyesight. And if their prey will get together, the snake thinks it is one giant adversary that he cannot defeat. You missed a good place to shout. They bind together to look like one mighty unified force. And the snake that could potentially take out any of them does not stand a chance against all of them. Now, I have to tell you this. That cobra at one point struck the mom. Great, great big cobra snake with incredible venom. With incredible venom. Let me tell you something about the venom of this cobra. If the cobra bites an elephant, the elephant dies. That's right. The elephant, let me find it here. I put it down. It's a couple of hours. Yeah, in a few hours. The cobra will take down an elephant and kill it in a few hours. If the cobra bites a human, 
15 minutes. And here's this little bitty meerkat. And you've already fallen in love with this creature because you've been watching the journey of her pregnancy, you know. And the cobra strikes the meerkat before the rest of the meerkats are able to run that cobra off. But it doesn't matter. She's already taken the blow. She begins to grow weak very quickly. And pretty soon she is paralyzed. And she falls to the ground. She begins to twitch. And the heart rate begins to slow. And finally, the little meerkat lay motionless. And all of our hearts broke. The camera begins to scan and see the other meerkats running around and doing what they're doing. And the cobra takes off. Here's this little meerkat. Several minutes went by. And they went to grab a clip again of the mama meerkat. And suddenly... She twitched. I was looking at Tucker, not at you, James. That would have been really strange. Look at a full-grown man. I felt like Michael Jackson on Thriller. She twitched. <gasps> she twitched again. And more of her twitched. And all of a sudden, she shook. And she jumped back to her feet alive when they explained that because of this threat, they didn't know God did it, but I knew God did it. God has equipped the target of the cobra with an anti-venom that while she felt the hit for a moment, it couldn't stop her, and she rose back to life. Can I tell you, the enemy might come against you. The enemy might strike you. You may be down, but you're not out. You think he's taking you out, but I want to tell you, you've been equipped. There's an anti-venom on the inside of you called the blood of Jesus. You've got the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and you will rise above it again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Matthew 16. Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Isaiah 54 and 17, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Let's go to church. Let's go to church. And if you think you can get the same thing watching at home as you can get being here in the house, you're wrong. Watching church through the screen is like watching a video of a fireplace. You can see the flames, but you can't feel the warmth. It's different when you're here in the house. 
It's different. Do you want to watch your favorite comedian by yourself at home? Or do you want to watch with all your friends where you can see their reactions and slap and fall all over each other? Would you rather watch an old video of Elvis Presley or wish that you could be in a live concert? Would you rather watch the Super Bowl at home or would you rather watch it live? There is something so different about a live group of people congregated in one place with one purpose looking for the same thing together. And when that thing is to lift your voices up to the one that made you, the one that came and lived, and the one that died for you, and to hear his voice, it is like nothing else in the world. The power that is released when we are together. Grab your neighbor and tell him, we're better together. You see, when the, when the Father sent the Holy Spirit, what did he have the believers to do? He had them to get together and to pray together and lift their voices together. And throughout history, it's always been the same. Hang with me just a couple more minutes. I'm trying to get through this. There is a huge movement right now to convince Christians they don't need to go to church. The first line of deception they use is that they say church has nothing to do with your salvation. The deception is because the line is correct. Church has nothing to do with your salvation. However, what they didn't tell you is everything that church does have to do with. You see, all error rides into the church on the back of truth. A 99% truth is a 100% lie. The deception tries to derail people's thoughts and throw them off track by making them think that someone had said church was about them being saved, and nobody did. The necessity of God's people getting together is not for our salvation. It's for our strength. It is not for our saving. It's for our serving. It's not for our transgression. It's for our teamwork. It's not for getting mercy. It's for getting something done. Listen to this. I know a, a particular individual personally, and they are very, very focused on this thing of telling Christians not to go to church. Now, I believe that this person has probably seen a lot of legalism in their background and has been very hurt in the church. Come on. I'm not, I'm not questioning their sincerity. I'm not making a judgment call on their heart or anything like that. This is not an attack. This is not a heart judgment. It's not personal. But here is just one problem, though, in their telling everyone why they should leave going to church. The person is a business owner that has a lot of employees. The type of business requires a lot of employees to get the work done. As the CEO, they have to oversee the entire process. There are also secretaries, office people to deal with books and paperwork and calls and those that walk into the office. Did I mention there's an office? Yeah, they don't run it from home. There's an office. There's a designated place. There's a set-apart place. He has a central location where the employees gather together on a regular basis to run everything. And then there's the ground crew, the laborers that go out where the customers are in need, the people that don't yet have the service which is offered. Now, outside of the office is a parking lot full of vehicles bearing the name of the company and what they offer. 
Every morning, the entire team gathers together so they're all on the same page. They hear from the top what needs done. They organize so that their individual strengths are all going in the right direction, and then they are sent out to do the work. And then they'll go home and they'll rest before assembling together again the next day where they'll repeat the whole thing so that the work continues to get done. Sounds a bit like church, doesn't it? So yes, we can find terrible tragedies in churches. We can find misuse of power. We can find ill motives. And we can pick out random Bible verses from here and there to justify it. But at the end of the day, it's already programmed inside. This is how we get built up. And this is how we get a thing done. And I'm never going to let someone that's out there doing it wrong stop me from getting what's right. Let's go to church. And while the statistics... Look scary? It's not the first time they have. And there is a rumbling. I feel a vibration below the feet of the church. And I hear a sound that is stronger than carnality. And I feel a call and a burden like I've never felt in my life. And I am convicted and convinced that this thing is not over. That it is not over for America. That it is not over for the church in America. That it is not over for the biblical Christian family. I am convinced that the Holy Spirit right now is touching and moving on hearts and grabbing their attention. And that we must rise up with the right message to meet them. And the time is right now. There is no time to waste. We must get together to worship. We must get together to be encouraged. We must get together to hear our marching orders. And we must go out and win the world to Jesus. We must. Commit right now. Singers, musicians, would you come? Commit right now. To join yourself to the local church like never before. If you're not doing that, change it. Repent. Turn it around. Believe God and correct your priorities. Because you're contributing to the very thing that's going to take you out. You're cooperating with the enemy's plan for your life. And he's got you convinced that you've outsmarted everything else. Let's go to church. Would you stand with me this morning? We have to go find our families. We have to go find our friends. 
we have to go and tell our neighbors. We have to find our church members that aren't here anymore. We have to stir them. We have to remind them. And love will do that. Love will take the time. We have to rally the troops. We got to get the family together. We got to get them here. Because God is speaking to hearts and filling us with revival. And He's right now releasing us to carry this fire. It'll be on our hands if they don't know about it because we didn't tell them. Some people are so bogged down with what's going on. They don't, they don't know how to look anywhere else. This is why the book of Jude said that we have to go out and snatch from some from the very fire. We've got to go out where it's hard. We've got to go out where they're stuck, where they're hurting, where they're dying. And we've got to grab them. We've got to grab them. We've got to shake them. Is there anybody here that wishes that at some point somebody would have slapped you and told you to wake up? Maybe some of you are here because somebody did. <laughs> we need somebody to slap us and say, wake up. What are you doing? What are you doing? This church will be 19 years old in May. We've been in this building for six. How is it that there's any room left? How is it that there's a single seat left? I'm inclined to think that if we're all giving our all to win people to Christ, our problem right now would be figuring out how to pack them in here. America needs the church. We need church. Now, friend, you may be on the other side. You may be sitting here today thinking that you're going to get a free pass into heaven because you're in church. And that's not true. Sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you an automobile. That's what Billy Sunday said. You have to have personally come to him and placed faith in what Jesus has done at the cross and receive him into your life. If you haven't done that, you can attend every church service of your entire life and slip off into eternity, eternally separated from God. If you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus as Savior, if you are not 100% sure that you have been born again, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If you died today, if you are not absolutely certain of where you would go and where you would spend eternity, this is your moment to get it right. This is your moment to say, God, I'm a sinner. 
I need your forgiveness. I want you to be Lord and Savior. If that's you, step out from where you are and come and stand. And I will lead you in a prayer as you place faith from your heart in what Jesus did on the cross. Would there be one? Would there even be one that says, I don't care what anybody in this room thinks. I'm only concerned with giving my life to him, with receiving his righteousness and living for him. Would you come right now? Come and stand. And I will lead you in a prayer as you place faith in him. If you're watching at home, you don't have to be in a church building. You don't have to join a religion to be saved. He wants to save you right where you're at. And then he will move on you to be connected to a local body of believers. But you can be born again right where you're at. So wherever you are, would you tell him right now, God, I'm a sinner. But I know you love me. I know you sent Jesus. Lord Jesus, I know you died for me. I know you got up from the dead. And I say yes to you. Forgive me my sins. Wash me clean. Move into my life. Fill me with your spirit. And help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that today, if you came to God in sincerity and you prayed that, would you please click the message button and tell me that you did. And if you don't mind, I have a free book that I want to send you wherever you are. I have a free book and it's going to help you to understand how to have a prayer life and how to read God's word and understand it. It's going to talk to you about worship. It's going to talk to you about church. It's going to give you what you need to get started in your walk with the Lord. So if you would please send me a mailing address and request that book, and we will send it to you. It'll be a blessing to you. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.